What's this podcast about today? Common psychological barriers or perceptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can over time systematically sabotage us from thriving in our lives. I always ask people, you know, how's describe to me your relationship to Allah or describe to me your relationship to Islam. So I give them that open question and let them answer it any way that they want. I never ask people like, do you pray? Yeah, I pray, alhamdulillah, five times a day. Okay, checkbox, let's move on. We don't have to revisit our, the discussion on Islam. They seem to be a good practicing Muslim or Muslimah because they go to the masjid and they do their five prayers and this and that. And that's fantastic because you need to be rooted in the prescriptions that Allah SWT gave us for our own well-being in order for those roots to become a tree and give flowers and beautiful leaves and perhaps even produce fruits that can feed and nourish others. Why does this matter? Well, from my years of working with people of faith and I focused highly on the Muslim community in the West, I have found reoccurring constructs or building blocks of one's belief you know, belief system tower, if you will. I want to address the mental metropolis that some of us have. You know, some of these buildings need to get up to date on their code or they need to be taken down altogether and reconstructed. When you think about the way you see the world, you construct the world through meaning. The way I make meaning of myself and the world starts with myself, my mind, my conscious rationale. The first category is the category of over-interpreting signs like the you know the person is always like oh is it a sign is it a sign whether it's positive or negative first off everything is actually a sign right allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rabbil alamin rabbil alamin which we all know it's part of the fatiha alama means a sign okay or an indicator of something so i'm driving i see a, a stop sign that tells me what it's giving me a message or a communication without a person needing to be there to tell me stop you can't, you have to stop here and look both ways. That's why we put up a sign, right? A sign gives that message without somebody needing to be there to tell me that message. So it's it's transferring this truth or this law or this code of the road um, without having a police officer there. If you see a sign that says New York City in 30 miles, it tells us about something that isn't directly in front of us or immediately accessible, but that there is something called New York that exists. And we're on our way there. Similarly, Al-Alameen, all the cosmos, is a signature, an indicator, and a sign that is meant to point us back to its source, the creator, the designer, the reality of all things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From that sense, everything is already a sign, people, right? Now, whether or not it's a, of personal significance, this is what I'm talking about, right? Where people over-personalize uh, certain signs because they're really anxious about finding out the consequence of something. You know, like, am I going to marry this person? Am I going to get this job? Are we meant to move to this place or stay where we are? We're looking for those signs. And the beautiful thing is, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you those signs. You just have to pay attention and, in a sense, try to objectify the divine will outside of your own anxiety, which is hard. Because if I'm already very afraid 
of something happening, I will become hypersensitive to interpreting signs that may fulfill that fear. And if I'm really attached to a positive outcome of something, I may be, uh, you know, deluding myself to the signs or the red flags that Allah is showing me that I should not go towards that person to marry or take this job or do this thing or do that. So this is the first construct is over-interpreting signs and we make meaning of them based on our own personal preferences or attachment. And our suffering in the end of the day is proportionate to the level of our unhealthy attachment or expectation of things. So if I want this job really, really bad and I don't get it, I assume now that God, you know, isn't going to give me a job. When all that was shown to us was you're not getting this job. But maybe in two weeks you're going to get a different offer which you'll pay better and turns out it'll be more of your dream job than the one you falsely attached to. Right? So signs are happening all the time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quote-unquote communicating to us via how events in our lives unfold on a day-to-day basis. And this is why patience is our virtue which allows Allah from our perspective, the human perspective, when we are patient, we allow Allah to unfold and unveil His will for us. All we need to do along the way is take the means, right? And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance and to make things clear. And then we have to pay attention without imposing our own meaning or our own um, desires onto that outcome or process. This is what it means to be patient in my understanding. It's like, let Allah unravel this for you. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what you're afraid of. He already knows what you're thinking about. He already knows what you desire versus not desire. If we have Iman and part of our theology is Allah knows best, right? Allah's knowledge and wisdom is complete. We, on the other hand, are anxious by nature because we don't have total power, total control, and total predictability of reality. That's why the human by nature, there's anxiety is embedded in our condition. But that anxiety can become a catalyst for growth and for deepening intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The very things that I am limited in, which is a lot of things, by definition, human beings are limited creatures, we're impermanent, we don't have the power and control that you know we want all the time. But yet we can outsource those needs or limits that we have to the one that is limitless and needs nothing. And Allah keeps reminding us over and over again that there is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have any needs, is completely free from creation's reliance in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's, it's the exact opposite. Everything here is completely dependent and reliant on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? There is no such thing as independence, right? Really. You don't even control your own heartbeat, which pumps blood for you, you know, thousands of times, thousands of gallons a day, uh, and you don't even think about it. And if your heart stops, you're dead. So how much power do you really have? Really? That's just one thing. There's infinite things that you and I, we are totally surrendered and submitted to. You know, you can't live without breathing. You can't live without eating. You can't change, you know, what uh, genetic dispositions you have. All those things you're totally surrendered to. And there's many others. So this first construct is over-interpreting signs and making, you know, a mountain out of a mole and trying to make uh, correlation or causation with things 
that um, may not actually be there. Now, this doesn't mean you can't see clear signs or synchronicities that happen in your life, but the point here is that if I'm already superimposing my emotion or my attached desired outcome to processes, then I'm actually not really paying attention. I am limiting my scope of perception by the fact that I'm waiting for this specific thing to happen, and if it doesn't, then I may react in a negative sense towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this brings us to the second construct, which I find very often with people, which is the all or nothing construct. And it simply means, you know, everything's black or white. Everything is either zero or 100. It's all or nothing. Allah's either going to let me get married to this person, finally, because I want them and I like them and I dream about them and fantasize about them, or I'm just not going to get married at all. Or I'm going to get this job, my dream job, or I'm not going to get a job at all. Why? Why does it have to be zero or 100? And why are you superimposing such extremes on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know, if I don't get this job, it means Allah doesn't want me to have a, a job. If I don't get married to this person, it means Allah doesn't want me to get married. Why? Who says that? This all or nothing is what breeds dogma. It's what breeds extremism. It's what breeds, you know, volatility in our psychology, in our emotional state. Man, one day I'm a believer when everything goes my way. When things get uh, rough around the edges, I don't know if I believe and I'm doubting and what kind of God would do this. And, you know, this is what people sometimes go through. So this all or nothing is extremely uh, unhealthy because it is not the middle way and it is not balanced. Rather than evaluating things in your life as 0 or 100, think about it as 0 to 100, like a scale. Yeah, there's days where you might get 30 points and you're feeling kind of crummy about yourself, right? Let's say it's when it comes to your salah. And I only prayed once a day or twice a day today. That's, that's not good. It doesn't mean it's a 0. You know, and even if it is zero, that doesn't mean you're stuck in zero, right? Zero is only zero until you add some value to it, some points, and they can become 10 tomorrow or 20 or 80. So all or nothing uh, is a um, an immature cognitive framework that many people as adults still maintain. And where does this come from? Well, it comes from childhood because all children start to see the world in these binary frames. That's what we all as human beings need to do to first construct the basis of existence, right? There's dark and lightness. There's good and bad. There's cold and hot. There's mama and baba, right? This is what a child needs to know. A three-year-old asks who are in the cartoon, who's the good guys and the bad guys? You can't say, well, that all depends on the political, historical, psychological context of the, the side that you're on, right? I mean, that's how it comes later. You know, you start to introduce the gradation of gray as you mature and get older. And that's how you can start to differentiate more so that things aren't purely all or nothing or purely black or white or purely wrong or purely correct. You know, uh, there are other variables that start to become included in processing or making meaning of things as you get older or more mature and more refined in your intellect, you know, hence the sophistication. That's why it's really sad when you meet, let's say, a person who is much older and they still think in the very limited or, or binary lens of life and themselves or religion since you knew them from high school. Right. It's like, damn, this person never changed. Right. Really, like they've, they haven't evolved. And growth, ladies and gentlemen, is the main evidence of life. That's when you know something is alive. Animate objects versus inanimate objects. When something is alive or it has life force, there is constant changes and growth happening. 
right? Plants, animals, humans. Why isn't a rock alive? Because the rock in and of itself is not changing because of its internal processes. Rocks change because of erosion, because of climate, because of this, you know, affecting it. But if you leave a rock or a computer in your closet for 10,000 years, depending on what it's exposed to in that closet, but it's not going to ever grow legs and get up and walk away or, you know, it, the computer is going to turn on by itself and update the newest software every decade or every year. That's never going to happen because they are not alive. A human being who's not pursuing growth and transformation is also like they're dead inside. As Allah says, have you seen those who are, you know, there's people walking around and eating and paying bills and making money, but they're dead inside. Right? They're not actually growing and transforming into the ultimate form that they are meant to become, right? which is through your relationship and unveiling and finding the treasure of the divine reality, you, you are ever evolving. The third construct in our lens towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and the path of our deen, this transactional businessman or businesswoman, you know, let's make a deal uh, type of perception with God, right? It's like I, I ascribe myself these false rights to make a deal with God and, you know, I can make counter offers if I don't like something from God. Um, if I do this, then God is going to do this or he should do this, right? And if he doesn't, I'm mad. I'm going to be upset with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So, for example, if I am a porn addict and I quit porn, God should make help me get married right away because, you know, that's the deal. Right? And if he doesn't, then I'm going to be resentful or angry or maybe even go back to the addiction of porn. Now, look, there's a difference between doing it from a humble sense versus imposing your own self onto Allah subhanahu wa In other words, Allah has the right to refine you, to test you, to withhold, to give, but you don't have that same right towards Allah when it comes to what he has prescribed. Right? You can't say, I'll start praying five times a day when I become a millionaire. Right? Or then, I'll, then I'll really worship God. It's like, look, you can believe that all you want. But, it, but God's not going to feel any pressure because of what you're imposing. And this just shows the delusion of the person's state that they still don't understand who and what they really are. Right? This is what Iblis did. He made himself on par with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What, what are you telling me? I have to do this? I think I'm better. I think I know better than you. In fact, I'm going to spend my whole life to prove to God that I am better and I know better and Adam and his children are pathetic and watch this. And then Iblis asks God for a favor and says, can you give me life till the end of time so I can basically prove to you that you're wrong and I'm right? This is his state of arrogance and delusion and narcissism. Some people have this type of tone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Oh, well, that doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to believe or I'm going to question God now. Because I don't like it. I don't like this thing happening in the world or to me. Look, you don't have a clue if that's the type of idea that you have about the nature of your relationship with Allah. Now, if I'm humble and sincere, so for instance, if, like, if I say, God, if I had any good in me, can you please help me with X, Y, and Z? Or if I have ever shown, you know, done something sincere for your sake, Ya Allah, can you please help me with this situation or manifest this job or this or that? But even if you don't get the results that you want, you're not waving your fist up at God, right? That's the difference between, you know, trying to uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a favor 
or for his grace, or for his baraka or na'mah, versus demanding it like it's some kind of a business deal. And if I don't get this, then I'm not getting that. It's You don't have equal grounds of exchange rate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't. So some people have this idea or this perception, and this is also very unhealthy and can stop us from optimizing the intimacy and the power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually has to give to in our lives. Because Allah can do whatever He wants, right? That's what He tells us. I do whatever I want. So if you become close to God and God starts to love you and you love Him and there is that real iman of trust and security and sincerity and humility, guess what? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has your back, you're going to have a lot of things, inshallah, work out for you. And if things don't work out for you, you'll at least have the tranquility of the proper meaning and understanding. So for instance, if a person was so set on getting a job, this job particularly, I worked so hard all my life to have this job, and then they don't get it, but they have this uh, state with God of being a sincere servant, yes, they might be a little let down, but they immediately or shortly after know, really, Allah knows what's best and I know in my heart He's going to give me what's better than this. And I've seen this happen, ladies and gentlemen, with people I've worked with. The same story several times and within a week, a month, they get another job or a, and a better job and one that pays even more. And it, it also teaches them that, wow, I was so fixated on that other job, the one I wanted, that turns out I wasn't even accurate. In, in knowing what would be best for me. Right? And this is why Allah knows best, really. But, and this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can fulfill these requests and wishes. But it has to come from a place of your heart is sound. And I'll give you a simple human example. In marriage or in a friendship, you know, if a husband says to his wife, you know, you'd better do this because I'm the man or I'm the husband or I pay the bills. Or the wife says, oh yeah, well, you better do this or you better, you know, do these things whether you like it or not. Because if you don't, I'm not going to be here when you come home from work or I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. That's not a way of making a deal with somebody, right? Or fulfilling a request. You know, you come to the person with a sound heart, a humble tone. Like, you know, sweetie, it would be great if you could do this. I would be wonderful if you could make that happen. I wish we could do X, Y, and Z. That brings out the goodness in the person to want to do those things for you. If we treat our spouses well and with kindness most of the time, we'll be able to start making um, extra requests or wishes uh, on top of those things as needed. And the spouse will be, or the friend will be, more in of a, of a place to actually fulfill those things because our relationship is good, right? It's not the case if it's the relationship is bad. We all know this. When we've been in a bad relationship, whether a friendship or family member or marriage, we can't stand when that person asks us to do more things, right? Or asks us for anything, you know? So what about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us He can do anything He wants. And that means He can sometimes do what we want, or do what we want, but he does it for us in such a way that it's better. Mind reading of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Mind reading means I know what what is on another person's mind. And this is just so obnoxious uh, when people do this with each other, human beings. Take a marriage example. A wife tries to do something nice for her husband. They've been having fights. And he just is totally skeptical. He's like, oh, she wants, there's some agenda behind this. They want money or they're just doing this because my parents are around. They don't really care about me in such a way. They didn't really mean that comment of praise that they said, right? There's something else going on. So you're always mind reading the person's uh, you know, thoughts. You think you know what their thoughts really are. Or worse, you think you know what their intentions actually are. So you're saying, oh, I know what's in your heart. That's not really your intention. That's not really in your heart. And when I see this happen, let's say in relationships, that's very hard to move past that point. Because if every time I am trying to be a good person or a better person or correct my ways, and the other side does not uh, have the capacity to make meaning of it as a genuine attempt to uh, reconcile or to resolve conflict, then you're not going to get anywhere. Because it's like, oh, I already know what you think. I already know the real reason why you're doing this. I already know what's your intention. Okay, so then there's nothing to work with here. You know, mashallah, you know everything that's going on inside my existence. So therefore, anything I do, it's up to your interpretation and how you make meaning of it. How far is that going to get us? Not far. We sometimes do this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think I know what God thinks. I think God is happy with me. God knows I am such a, an amazing, wonderful, righteous person. I think God hates me. I think God is angry with me. This type of mind reading is very, very dangerous. And the simple proof of that is, number one, how absurd for you to assume you know everything about what someone else is thinking or intending let alone the creator of the universe. That's just absurd, okay? Two, you are confused about half the things you think and feel about yourself in your own psychology. So how are you now absolutely sure about another person, let alone many other people, and of course the creator, Allah Azawajal? It's a ridiculous, absurd claim. And the best way to know anything about someone else's mind or heart is through what? Communication. Communication is our ability to translate and transfer our conscious states to another, right? Whether we're telling them how we feel, we're sharing our wishes or emotions or thoughts. It's also how the human being takes abstract thoughts or ideas and gives them form, right? Like coming up with a product or uh, making a recipe, a meal, or, you know, designing something and making it into an actual uh, object or product or process, right? This is what humans are doing constantly. Hence why we have a civilization. We're able to take what's inside and make it reality on the outside, right? We make it manifest as something real and tangible and functional on the outside. The other way to know what's going on for somebody is by observing their behaviors and their pattern. Unless something else is communicated. But otherwise, we don't assume what's in people's hearts or we know what's in their state. You could maybe come to those uh, new realizations or insights by what? Observing what they say and what they do. So, for instance, if somebody's all of a sudden always talking about moving to Alaska, you know, and you're like, I don't know why my husband keeps talking about moving to Alaska, but is there something going on? There could be something that they're thinking about or intending that they're not telling me because all of a sudden they're always talking about Alaska and watching documentaries about Alaska and what life is like in Alaska. And then turns out the guy had a job offering in Alaska. It's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's rational, 
You follow? But to assume things that you have no evidence for, especially if the person in front of you is telling you the opposite. No, that's not really what I meant or felt or that wasn't my intention. And you keep imposing yours. That's not going to get us far. I'm going to share two more today. Uh, there's, there's, there are many, but I want to share these main ones so far. The other one is anthropomorphizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is anthropomorphism? Anthropomorphism is the human tendency uh, to ascribe human qualities or conditions to other than things that are human, right? So like we talk about our car like it's a she and we give her a name and we you know talk about her curves like she might be a woman. That would be anthropomorphizing. And so naturally, we are limited by human language. And we are limited by human consciousness, right? We can't actually ever comprehend the full reality of God. We can only get little glimpses and facets, if you will, of that shining diamond, right? But we can never stare at the whole diamond altogether. Like we would, we would, our eyes would burn up, so to speak, right? And this is also confirmed in the Quran. Let's say with the story of Musa Islam when he asked to see God and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, whatever he unveiled. And the mountain shattered and Moses, you know, completely passed out, right? So as the Quran says, no eyes can fully see God here, right? But we can see and find and perceive Allah through the creation. As Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, wherever you turn, you will find Allah, the countenance, the face, the presence of God. So going back to this idea that our very capacity to deconstruct reality is what helps us find that God is in front and behind all of reality and existence. So anthropomorphism is when we start to almost project human tendencies and qualities and reactions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like people say, God is angry with me, like he's up there somewhere. You know, God is somehow like angry with me the way my mother would be angry with me and disappointed, right? It's like we picture God being like frowning down at us because we missed Fajr or frowning down on us because we acted out with porn or, or stealing or drinking alcohol or lying or being cruel to somebody. And yes, Allah does use words like he loves things. He is pleased with things. There are certain things that invoke a curse or an anger, but that is not in any way, shape or form resembling what it would be like for a human to curse you, for a human to be angry with you, or for a human to uh, love you. It's not the same. We have those terms to help us associate or identify um, the quality of a phenomena, right? It's like when I say I love my, my daughter and I love my wife, the love is both love, but the quality of that love is based on the contours or the assignment of the object, Right? Just like we say the hand of a bag, there's a handbag, there's the hand of a door, there's the hand of, of a person, there's a hand of a monkey. We're, all, we're saying the word hand, but it's completely different entities based on what they're connected to. Right? There's also the hand of Allah. Right? Allah has that word in the Quran. He uses his hands. So anthropomorphic tendencies in our theology is very dangerous, and it's one of the main things that a tawheed is meant to eradicate. You know, but we still fall into this. Like we really, even though we were taught to believe God is not like anything else. There's nothing like the likeness of God. There is nothing like the likeness of God. That's the translation. 
completely beyond human conception as far as visualizing the the reality or the or of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that fullest sense there's no way so what we do is we create these shortcuts because our mind is wired to what make meaning of things based on our frame of reference our frame of reference as far as relationships as far as authority as far as you know power is you know will tend to use human beings and so anthropomorphism is a natural uh, i think pitfall that we may fall into where we ascribe created conditions or the conditions of creation like time and space and human emotion and we put that on god right as if god would be just as angry or just as happy or just as this uh based on our human experience again no it is meant to be simply a metaphor yes god can love you god cannot love certain things about you or not love certain acts that people do he can also be um happy or pleased or disappointed but it's in no way shape or form like it would be with humans but all we need to know when it comes to these descriptions of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is are we in favor or in disfavor are we running the risk of not being in good place in our lives in the akhirah or are we uh, increasing the chances of being in a better place in this life and in the next life that's the main fuel that drives us right there anthropomorphism in the past was practiced very clearly right like god becomes man like literally a man or god becomes many men and women or different creatures that represent his attributes in islam we are created in god's image in the sense that it is a theomorphic image you know we possess attributes and qualities and powers to a human degree that allah possesses and he has gifted us with that like the power of seeing and sight that's something god has al-basir the gift of hearing as-sami' the speech kalam allah god speaks god has hands god can make some make things and and produce things so do we those are all attributes that god has given us to use for or against us like for example people who ascribe the created conditions to god let's say the scientific atheistic community when it comes to god all the conditions of physics and cause and effect must apply to him too right like if god exists then something must have created god because that's the law of everything that exists if something exists today like a cell phone or a human being or a car then it means something had to have existed to make that thing or else where did it come from it doesn't just show up from nowhere we, nobody accepts this that there's some open you know door of another dimension and boom a new person just shows up like that randomly at a grocery store or a phone just shows up on your living room couch and you're like wow cool that doesn't happen we would freak out if that happened because it goes outside of the predictable pattern of life life's cause and effect series and so we'll just say the universe was born by another universe subhanallah it's like the more you see the signs of allah you dig deeper to find a way to explain god away so anthropomorphism works in in both of these ways you follow where i impose the created conditions onto allah and lead me to disbelieve allah or have a distorted understanding of allah or i believe in allah but i am superimposing or unconsciously projecting human conditions and qualities onto the personhood if you will of the creator and so how do you resolve this well many muslims i've also learned are unfamiliar with the clear existential theological philosophical premises of the quran to begin with so yeah if you don't know what the fatiha means word to word or you don't have a basic grasp of the message of the quran and the stories of the prophets and what those messages entail for us 
because they're simply messages and guidance for us. It's my responsibility and your responsibility to embody that and experience it for ourselves. But simply knowing the stories of the prophets, knowing who Isa was, Jesus and Muhammad and Musa and Buddha and whoever you follow, is not by default going to transfer the experiences of that prophet or of that leader or saints and it's going to become now yours to hold. And this is how some Muslims also tend to function. Which brings me to my last construct that I want to address today. Which is this type of personification of Islam. And the concept of personification of Islam is simple. How many of us, and I, and I still do this. What does Islam say? What does Islam you know, think about this? Or am I acting in accordance to Islam? And that question is fine in and of itself. The problem is, is it's become almost like this personification of Islam. Like, I don't know, let me call Islam up and ask him or her for you, right? So, and then we'd argue about what's the gender of Islam, <laughs> if we personify, you know? But the point is like, there is no Islam to call up and ask. When I say the word Islam today, it simply means a concept. And the Islamic tradition today is constructed from minds and efforts of men and women for the last 1500 or so years to extract the clear meaning and principles and values of the Quran and Sunnah and operationalize it into the context of that people or place. This is why we have the science of fiqh and ishtihad and qiyas and so on and so forth. This is what we call Islam, right? But Islam today, 95% of what you go learn about Islam today is somebody else's ideas about Islam. That's the reality. So personification of Islam is assuming that Islam is some entity that can judge us. Guys, Islam is simply a path and a tradition which is meant to help the individual cultivate the proper state of consciousness. Nobody can do that for you. Memorizing and being around people and learning all these things and look at all the scholars I can quote, that doesn't mean you're going to transfer the experience of those prophets or scholars just by knowing what their experience was about. It's the same thing as buying a car and then memorizing the manual of your car, but never driving your car. It's like, great, you know all about that as a separate objective informational manual guide, but you actually don't know that none of that is actually experiential. You're not gaining any skill. You're not getting out on the road to really practice what it means to drive and become a good driver and to learn from your mistakes, going through stop signs, driving too fast, you know, and you don't actually, it's like everyone would be like, dude, why does this guy have a car? And they know everything about the manual and how it works and all the features and functions, but then they never actually apply it or use it fully. That, that's like the same thing as what we do sometimes, right? It's like memorize the blueprint of Islamic tradition, but you yourself don't know how to cultivate a true Islamic psychology. So a better thing to ask is, is what I'm doing or thinking or feeling or wanting aligned with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would want for me? Is it in harmony with what Allah and His Messenger have taught us and guided us towards? And if it's not aligned with that, then you are making meaning of something for your own agenda. And when we personify Islam, we also can personify our righteousness through it. So Islam becomes a ego-building endeavor rather than a humbling, cultivating, optimizing, purifying uh, path and trajectory to deepen our relationship with the divine reality and widen our scope of how things actually work and are 
in existence. But memorizing or appearing religious or imitating the religious folk of your community is not going to automatically transfer uh, or help you in truly internalize that project of human becoming unless you're doing it for and with and through Allah Azza wa Jal. That's what all this is supposed to lead us back to. So this personification of Islam is like seeing whatever version of Islam that I was presented or I'm told to follow with my family or community, as long as I just replicate that, that I am somehow saved now, or I am, I've somehow arrived in the camp of the righteous. And I've seen people who, mashallah, on paper, they, do, they are considered the religious active community members, and they're the ones that lose it more often than not. Because it's not anchored in their relationship with Allah Azza wa It's more anchored in their relationship with their own ego, their relationship with the community and external validation. And there's this codependency on religious symbols and structures and community and people to give me value as a person, right? That's not going to get us far. And so Islam is really a path and a trajectory and a manual to deepen and widen your relationship with Allah Azza wa and fall and by using the examples of the prophets and the men and women of our community that set the standard as versions of people that we can actually become more like and that we are responsible for becoming more like those prophets and saints and teachers and scholars that we love. That's why they're there for us. But they are already legends. We can become our own legend. And becoming a legend doesn't mean you got to be famous. It means becoming a legend with God. It's really about that. So if Islam is a path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Islamic psychology is my individual journey on that path, how I make meaning of it, how I cultivate, optimize, purify myself, this project of human becoming, which is ever-evolving, then Islam is not an ends to itself. Islam is not an ends to itself. It's meant to be an ends to a higher state of consciousness and being and moral ethical standards so that my account, when it goes back to God, is more aligned with Allah's reality. Because every time we say things like, in the name of Islam, I want to do this for the sake of Islam, ultimately it's about the sake of Allah. Why would I do something Islamic unless it's about leading me back to greater closeness and alignment with the divine reality and the divine principles and values? So for instance, if I don't get this job, I'll never get a job. Does that really reflect common sense or statistical probability or the values and principles of Allah that Allah provides and you have to keep trying and take the means and if something doesn't work out for you that you like, don't worry, Allah has something better for you, you got to keep on going and being patient. That's what Allah tells us, right? Or do I interpret bad things that happen to me, like God forbid, a health issue or a loss of some sort, uh, do I interpret that as God's punishing me, God's mad at me, God is angry? No, of course not, because that's not what Allah tells us that's why it happens in the Quran. He tells us it happens to refine us, to make us remember the ultimate meaning of the story, of this picture of life, which is that it's not about you and me alone and my personal goals and dreams and wishes. The world isn't here to cater to just those things for each individual. The world has its own story going on, and we're a part of it. And we can influence and impact it, but it will also influence and impact us. It's like we're all drops of water that are a part of this ocean. Whether you like it or not, the ocean's going to have its own current, its own tide, its own waves. 
And you've got to be with that flow or you're going to be in a delusion of, no, 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 I'm the ocean, right? I'm not a drop of water. I'm the ocean and things have to go my way now. That's not rational and that's not spiritually intellectual. So each individual that feels like some of these things may be in their way of perceiving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or other things in their life, you know, I invite you to uh, write, start writing some of those things down and just ask a few simple questions with some of these reoccurring constructs or reactions that you have. Ask yourself, does this align with common sense, science, and rationale, and logic? Does this conclusion or fear that I have? Number two, does it reflect the principles or values of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what He has taught us time and time again? What would be a more balanced or healthier way to react or make meaning or interpret this event or this feeling or this um, consequence of something that I did. Because there is always an opportunity to learn and to pay attention and to refine ourselves. But we're not going to grasp the real meaning or lesson if we've already decided what caused it, what's the correlation, and that's the end of the story. No, that's too much self-absorption and projecting onto God what you think God thinks or the meaning that you believe God is, is showing us. We don't know that for sure. You need to let go and be patient and Allah will show you. And that doesn't mean you can never get signs or meaning or be you know, accurate in some of your interpretations because there are times. And I think that one way to know that, Allah knows best, one way to know the difference between projecting your own fear or self-absorbed assumptions onto God is when the correlation or the cause comes up for you quite immediately or it's very accessible shortly after the event happens and your heart is very at rest with that conclusion and nothing else suggests otherwise as far as what unfolds the rest of the day or the rest of the week or year right it's like whoa i think that happened because of this or i really feel like allah is showing me this or doing this because of he knows my state right and you're not volatile, you're not doubting it, you're not questioning it. And if the result also makes you thrive and continue in the right direction, right? You remain upright, you're not rebelling, you keep taking the means, whether it's you don't get this job, so you keep trying. You don't give up and go drink and be depressed now and, and tell everybody that I'm never going to get a job and God, you know. That's not a sign that you're interpreting something from Allah. Because if something's coming from God and you know it, you'll keep going if you have that proper understanding. And that's the difference between uh, self-critique and self-accountability or uh, diagnosing your own meaning of something. If you're true about that meaning, then things will get better or continue in that way. Just like if you have a diagnosis about somebody's illness and they take a specific prescription or medicine, turns out it works out and all the symptoms go away, then you, your diagnosis was probably accurate. But if it wasn't and you give a certain uh, prescription and it doesn't work or make things worse, then you've got to reevaluate fast. It's the same thing. If you interpret a sign to mean something and it seems like it is truly the proper meaning, you're not going to get any contrary evidence along the way in your life, and you're also not going to vacillate with what you think is happening. You're going to feel centered and grounded and clear, inshallah, and still, you know, this inner stillness. That's when you know you're at peace with the decree and you've truly accepted. 
You know, there are times where you can have that. So, and that's one of the ways that you know. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us and help us in our uh, mental barriers, you know, that block us from understanding and seeing Allah properly. And the hadith, famous hadith Qudsi, I am as my servant conceives me to be. This is what God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in hadith Qudsi, that I am as my servant conceives me to be. If you conceive, you know, evil and harm and negativity, you're gonna play that out and experience that. And if you perceive or conceive, you know, mercy and goodness and kindness and generosity, you will receive that. Just like with a human being. If you're always telling your best friend or your spouse that they're horrible and they're this and they never do that and they never do it, they're going to end up not doing any of those things as well because they feel completely, you know, completely uh, criticized by you. And again, human analogies are just there to help us understand the dynamic relationship that we can have with Allah Azawajal. It's never meant to make us go, oh, so then God's like that. No, because that's anthropomorphism, which I discussed earlier. You know, it's not quite so. But there is a relationship between what we perceive, how we construct the world, what we've decided is happening in the world, what we want to focus on seeing in the world. And that naturally will reciprocate the energy, the moods, and the actions that we take in this world, which is going to create our experiences and further crystallize or deepen the meaning and conclusions we make about ourselves, Allah, and the, and the world. This is the cycle of projection and perception. So if I have unhealthy constructs to begin with or unsound constructs to begin with, guess what? The consequential effects will be similar. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to visit patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem to support this show. Please leave us a review on iTunes or any platform that you listen to this podcast. If you're looking for personal or relationship or family support, contact us at nudehumanconsulting.com today. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give all of you out there listening, you and your families, the best in this life and the next. Amin. Ya Rabbi.